Father, I, I do thank You so much for this church. I thank You, God, so much for the people, um, for those who call this place home, to those, God, that You may be calling here for this to be their home church. Thank You for those who serve, God, who are willing and able satisfied with serving even behind the scenes with no recognition in order to love people and to make you known. God, I'm thankful for the gifts that you give us. I think it was Kellen who prayed this morning in our, our leader's prayer time. It's so easy to focus on the things that are wrong and negative and what's going badly and we forget to focus on our gifts and the things that You have given us. So Father, give us joyful and thankful hearts today as we gather. Father, I I confess to You that I do not at all feel like I have, have it together today. I've struggled in study and preparation and understanding this text and how to present it. And I confess that to you, God, as I have privately, I do so publicly. And ask that your power would be made known today. That, that God, that people might hear your word and be moved. And that if they are, their temptation would not be to leave here and think much of me. Because I really just feel like I have very little to give this morning. I pray rather that they would know that you are the shepherd of your church, Jesus, that you work through people, but you are the one that delivers message, you, de- you deliver leadership and guidance through your spirit. So I pray that our, our minds would be on you today, including my own, that I'm looking to you with the eyes of my heart and my mind and asking for your help and believing that you will provide it. So I ask, Jesus, that You would please teach us, but also send Your Spirit among us. Increase our faith. And Jesus, would You work miracles in this church today? Visible and invisible. Quiet and loud. Would You work miracles here today that we might know that You are indeed with us. We might trust in that. And we might bank our lives on it. In Jesus' name. In Your name. Amen. So Advent this year, our theme has been the kingdom of heaven. And that is, even as I've really thought about it this week, is like, how would you explain that to someone? Like that term, what is the kingdom of heaven? And it, it is the place where God is. And it is a very real place. It is a place with a king It has power like kingdoms do. It has ethics like kingdoms do. But it is unlike any kingdom on the earth. It is the most powerful, eternal kingdom, the only one. So it's very real. It's a very real place. We just cannot see it with our eyes. We can see the kingdoms of the earth. So we understand that idea of kingdoms and nations on the earth. And we can see them. We can see their leaders. We can see their 
power, their military, their political pull. Like we understand those concepts. And the Bible tells us, but above all of this is this eternal, invisible kingdom that you cannot right now see, but it is just as real as the ones that you can. And so when Jesus was born in Advent, what we celebrate this time of year, He brought near to us this kingdom. No longer was it a far-off kingdom, but it was something that was near to all of us. But even being near to us, it is only by faith in Jesus that we can enter into that kingdom, that we can be a part of it, that we can live in it. But when we have faith in Christ, the Son of God who came to draw near to us, to dwell with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and to bring His kingdom to bear on us, then when we put our faith in Him, then we can enter into this kingdom. And we can live in it. So what does that look like? Because I'm always thinking that way. It's like, okay, well, the practical. Like, I don't want to just say things that have terms that you hear and you nod your head out because you've read at them before. You've read about them before. But, but like, practically, what does it look like? What does it look like to live in the kingdom? What does that mean? To begin with, you always want to grow in your knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and your understanding of it. You want to pursue that. So how do you do that? How do you grow in the knowledge of this kingdom? If you want to grow in the knowledge of a kingdom of the earth, right? You'd, you could get out history books or you could go to Google. You could search about the land, the people their ethics, their laws, you could study it. Well, we study the kingdom of heaven. We grow in our knowledge of it, our understanding of it. And we do that by the means that God has given us. He's given us His Word. When we study His Word, we're growing in our knowledge and our understanding of this kingdom. He's given us prayer. We can connect with Christ and abide with Him as we pray and He shares and teaches us. We do so in worship, what we're doing right now together as a church, coming together as a group and collectively putting our minds and our hearts on Jesus, singing to Him and thinking about His Word, teaching, studying, thinking. And we do that privately as well. We can privately worship. We do it through fellowship because He's given us these things. We learn about the kingdom from each other. We learn about the kingdom, understanding what God's doing in, in each one of our lives and sharing that with one another. And, and coming together to encourage one another and exhort one another. Sometimes warn each other. We learn about the kingdom through serving. We learn a lot about the kingdom through serving. And through mission. Wanting to make Christ known. So we learn, we want to grow in our understanding of the kingdom we also want to experience it. I believe that we can experience God's kingdom right now on the earth. It is not a full experience of it. One day that will come. One day what we live right now by faith, we will see by sight. The kingdom will be the only reality we know one day. It will be the one we live in for all of eternity. And we will sense it in every possible way. But right now... We are called that we can taste and see that Christ is good, that God is good, that the kingdom is good. 
We experience the kingdom with spiritual senses. By the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. It's the, it's the difference from that New Covenant, New Testament, from the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And when Christ came, that those who have faith in Him, He gives us a deposit. A guarantee that one day we will live with Him in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. That deposit is His Spirit in us right now that helps us to grow in the kingdom and helps us to experience it a little bit here on the earth. So the kingdom of heaven is mysterious. It's okay to say that. It's okay to embrace that there are things about our faith that are it's a mystery. It's spiritual in nature. It's okay to say that, but it's also very practical. There's a way that we live in the spirit of the kingdom of heaven that is very, very practical. And that practicality is we mature as citizens of the kingdom by growing in its ethics and its power. In other words, the ethics, the rules that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven will one day live by perfectly, we mature and grow in those right now. And we grow in experiencing the power of Christ in us. When you walk with Jesus, there are things that He will enable you to do that you would not be able to do on your own. He gives you desires you would not have without Him. He gives you the ability to do certain things that, apart from Him, you would not be able to do. That is power. Sometimes miraculous power. Sometimes quiet power. So there may be times where He allows you to pray for someone to be healed and you will see them healed. And it will be a visible manifestation of His power on the earth. Sometimes you will struggle to forgive someone. And He will give you the ability to do it. And you won't as readily think about that as a miracle, but it is just as much the power of the kingdom of heaven. Very practical. So the reason we're studying, the reason that we want to study it is we want to learn how to be good citizens. We want to practice now for what we will live and do for all of eternity. And Jesus is helping us to do that. I want you to think about what you know from Scripture about how Jesus interacted with His disciples in the New Testament. Think about these these men, these women that He called to Himself that would follow Him, that we read about in Scripture. And then I want you to think about that and realize Jesus is still doing that same work right now. That work hasn't changed. It's different because we don't visibly see Him or audibly hear His voice. But He's still doing the same work. And Jesus even made the comment that the work He's doing for us now is greater than the work that He did when He was visible, present on the earth because of the power of His Spirit. In the form of humanity, there was some limitations that He took on. He's in one place at one time speaking to one person or group of people, but now through His Spirit, He's in all of us, with all of us, at all times. So yes, when 
You know, Mike's at work or Josh is at work or, you know, you're, you know, my wife's at home teaching our kids or whatever the case is. And they're each one of them are praying like Christ is with them in that moment present. It's greater than when he was here. But think about those that picture of what happened and know that he's still doing that today. What did he do for those disciples? Those people? First of all, he called them. Come, come to me. He calls us. He calls us to come and join ourselves to him. And that is true of every person who follows Jesus. Every person who is the disciple, that is true. He calls you. And you're not going to understand everything about that call when it first happens. You're not going to fully understand what it's going to mean for your life or what it's going to look like down the road. But here's the base understanding that every person has to have to come to Jesus. One, if I answer this call, I am leaving something to go to something else. And secondly, this man that I'm walking toward, this man that is calling me, He's going to be central to my life. I, I, I really, I really don't think we can understand salvation and come to Christ unless we have at least that base understanding. Salvation is not about adding something to your life that's going to be one more thing that you do. Salvation is not about well, I'm having some troubles in my finances or I'm having some troubles in relationships, so maybe Jesus can fix those, so let me let me add Him into the mix. The base understanding of discipleship is this man is calling me, come follow me. You're going to leave some things behind. And I'm going to become central to everything in your life. What's it all going to look like? What all am I going to have to give up? Where all is He going to take me? You know what? If you try to figure all that out at the beginning, you probably won't go anywhere. Just know, I can trust Him. I know that much. So I'm going to follow Him. To those who answer that call, He cleanses us that we might belong to that kingdom He preaches about. We don't have to earn our way in. He cleanses us so that we are a rightful citizen of the kingdom. And then He teaches us. Jesus is always teaching. Somebody said that in our prayer time this morning. And I thought, you know, I don't... like. He doesn't ever stop that process. And I kind of added that to what I'm thinking about my life. Yeah, like I feel really out of sorts in the last couple of days. I don't really feel ready to do this message I'm stressed out because I was afraid the building was going to be freezing this morning for everybody. And in the midst of that, Jesus is teaching me something. I really wasn't stopping trying to figure out what the lesson was at the moment, but He's always teaching us. He wants us to understand what the kingdom is like. He leads us so that we can live as kingdom citizens should. And then He sends us to make the kingdom known. I'll say it again. If you're a kingdom citizen, He sends you every day to make His kingdom known. He empowers us so we have authority as we're sent. 
He doesn't send us disarmed or unarmed. He gives us His authority that we might be able to make His kingdom known in His power. He asks us to suffer difficulties. When you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you will face difficulties. You will suffer certain things because that kingdom is so different from the earthly kingdom we exist in every day. So there are certain ethics, rules, ways of life that He's going to call you to that's going to put you in opposition of the earth in its kingdom, and there will be times you will suffer because of that. And He says, I'm with you when that happens. So don't fear it. I'm, I'm right there with you because I've suffered these difficulties first. And He gives us a helper. His Spirit that we can depend on. His Spirit helps us to mature and it keeps us His Spirit keeps us persevering in the kingdom so that we don't give up, so that we don't walk away. And so this Advent, we've been learning about this work of Christ and what He's doing. And I want you to think every time you see how He interacts with these disciples in the New Testament, no, He's still doing that work with you right now. He's still doing the work of teaching. He always wanted His disciples to know about the kingdom and learn how to live in it and be empowered in its authority. And that is still true for you and I. So we've been focused on parables because so many times Jesus would start parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell a story. He used these parables to help us to understand that. So this is our fourth week of Advent. This is our fourth lesson in what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I want to kind of go back and walk through what we've learned as we get to the, today's lesson. So if you're a note taker and you have a copy of our handout, some fill in the blanks if you want to participate in that. The more we learn what the kingdom of heaven is like, the more we understand what is required of its people. Right? The more we learn about the kingdom of heaven, the more we understand to live in this kingdom, here's what's required of me. Understand, it's not a dreadful requirement. It's not a a requirement that you should should fear. Because number one, He gives you His Spirit to help you. But number two, the citizens of the kingdom, when they live in the kingdom and they live according to the kingdom, they're able to say, this is good. Ah, It's hard, yes. It's difficult sometimes, but this is right. Faithfulness is right. Integrity is right. Truthfulness is right. Love is right. Forgiveness is right. It's hard, but this is the good thing. When you live as a citizen of the kingdom, when you live according to those requirements, you can lay your head down at night in peace knowing I've done the right thing. might have been a hard thing. There might be suffering because of it, but it is the right thing. So it's not a dreadful requirement, but there are requirements. So week one, we learned in your notes, the kingdom is like a seed that is scattered and grows in a way that no one understands. 
Therefore, its citizens must learn patience. Jesus said in Mark 4, the kingdom is like a seed. It is scattered, it grows, no one really understands how it grows. And a citizen of the kingdom, you're going to have to learn to be patient. Why? Because growth takes time. It's one of the primary messages, Kevin preached this one, one of the primary messages that he was getting across is we have to be patient. And here's the thing. I think all of us understand sometimes how difficult it is to be patient with someone else who's being sanctified. Right? So there's someone else in your life and, and, and you want God to change them, grow them, mold them, shape them, and it's just not happening as fast, as quick as you would like for it to. And so you're called to have patience. But here's where I think we sometimes miss it. We forget we also have to be patient with our own growth. We see a sin in our life that needs to die. And it's not dying very quickly. And we get impatient. God's not taking it away. I've asked Him to. I've repented. He's not changing it. Reading the Bible and studying it is hard. Blanket statement. It's hard. Some people say, I don't like to read. I don't study well. I don't understand it. So what happens? We try. We give up. Prayer. Not easy for everyone. I've prayed. It just seems like God doesn't hear me like He does others. It doesn't, it seems like He doesn't answer me the way He does others. Community. He's called us to live in community. That's not always easy. Community's difficult. It's hard. I don't feel like I'm always accepted. I don't feel like people really want to connect with me. I don't feel like I do this very well. I can persevere in it. And so what happens is we find these difficulties in growth. And if we're not careful, we get impatient and we give up. We stop reading. We stop praying. We stop going. We have to be patient with ourselves and what God is doing in us. And we have to trust Him. That if I keep after this Word, if I keep after prayer, if I keep serving, if I keep in community, God is going to grow. He is going to give me growth. He is going to build something in me. It may not happen as quickly as I want it to. It may be days, weeks, years. But He is going to do the work and so I'm going to keep going. The kingdom's like a seed and it grows and we don't understand and we don't get to dictate how quickly, but we must be patient and we must keep going. The second week of Advent, we learn the kingdom exalts the lowly, therefore its citizens must learn humility. The kingdom exalts the lowly, therefore its citizens must learn humility. Luke 14, Jesus said, in the kingdom, don't assume your place. Don't try to fight for the best position at the table. In the kingdom, its citizens learn to assume the position of a servant. 
and they learn to defer to others. Care about others more than yourself. Promote others more than you promote yourself. Don't try to grab the best seat. Go to the lowly, the servant position. And in the kingdom, you wait for God to honor you as He chooses. There will be times where God will say, get up from the lowly position and come here. And you will be honored. Maybe in this life, or maybe in the next. But it will happen. And in the kingdom, the citizens learn, defer to one another and trust God. Trust God with me while I focus on promoting others. Week three in Advent, we learn the kingdom is different from any earthly institution or tradition. And therefore, its citizens must learn transformation. The kingdom is different from any earthly institution or tradition. Its citizens must learn transformation. What Christ is doing in the Bible is referred to as new wine, and new wine must be put in new wine skins. God's work in our lives means we must always be teachable. It's the first lesson that the man who mentored me to be a pastor told me. Never stop being teachable. The day you think you have nothing left to learn you will no longer be qualified to be a pastor. God's work in our lives requires us always be teachable, always know we have more to learn, and be ready to adapt to the change He brings. He does change things. He does move things. He does change your mind on things, your heart on things, your view on things. Sometimes He does that through things that originate from Him. Sometimes He does that from things that do not originate from Him. In other words, He even uses sin that doesn't originate from Him to change us. And He does this so that our lives can contain the work He's doing. What He wants to do in your life today will not fit in the structure, the perceptions, the habits, the way you lived last year or the year before. What He wants to do in your life needs new structure, new containers. So we have to be ready to embrace the new. Some of us get excited about the new. Some of us, it's like a horror movie. Like, I like what I have. Right? And I want to hold on to it. I want to cling to it. Sadie Grace gave us a wonderful illustration of that this morning. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. I had just told Corey Mariah, I was like, hey, if you, if you ever tire of her, just send her to me. And they said, you might send her back. And then like 30 seconds later, but I loved it. Because as she was doing that, she was like, I just, you gave me this. I don't want to let go of it. I mean, that's every one of us, right? I want to cling to this. Transformation often requires we let go. And then today's lesson, week four. The kingdom 
is the most valuable treasure that may ever be found. Therefore, its citizens must learn discernment. The kingdom is the most valuable treasure that will ever be found. Therefore, its citizens must learn discernment. Let me explain there. Discernment, in a, in a biblical sense, the gift of discernment, I, I believe, is to be able to distinguish between spirits, to know if something is of God or if something is not of God. But the word discernment, in its, if we were just to define it, it means the ability to judge well. And so in particular, what I mean here is that the kingdom is the most valuable treasure that may be, may ever be found, and you and I have to learn how to judge value. We have to learn how to judge what is the most valuable thing for us, and we have to run to that and embrace it. So sometimes living in the kingdom means that you're going to have to leave behind things that are worthless. They have no value. You've spent your life thinking they do. They mean something to you. You think that it's important and you embrace it and you come into the kingdom and you realize that thing that, that used to be so important to me, that's, it's worthless. Sometimes though, the kingdom is not about letting go of worthless things. Sometimes the kingdom is about letting go of things that are valuable, but not as valuable as the kingdom. Sometimes we have to let go of things that are important and valuable because God has something that's more valuable in the kingdom work He is doing. And so you and I, as citizens, we must be able to discern what is worth the most so that we can pursue it. I was texting with someone this week and their message to me in their text, it's an acquaintance of mine, their message in the text was just letting me know like kind of what had been going on in their life and they'd been away from church, away from the Lord, but they were describing to me this thing that they had found, this thing they were giving themselves to and they were just talking about, I've been spending a lot of time doing this. It had so much enjoyment in it. People close to me are finding so much enjoyment in it. And that's what I've been giving myself to. And as I was reading the text, I was just thinking, man, this is Matthew 13, like in, in front of me. And part of me, I just want to send him the verse and say, read this. Tell me what you think this means. Because there are times in our lives where we can look at something and just say, that is, that's, that's evil, that's bad, that's not worth anything. If I pursue that, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt me. But you know what? Most of life, I don't think it's like that. Most of life is things that are right in front of you that are good things that we can make gods out of. And we value them so much that we miss out on the kingdom work. So we have two parables that Jesus told. Very short parables. And there are three things that you find in each of these parables. These are in your notes. First of all, in both of these parables you find a discovery. 
There's a discovery that you see. Kingdom life begins and is sustained by discovery. And in these two parables, there's two different types of discovery. One of them was unexpected in your notes, and one of them was intentional. So in the first one, Jesus says there's this man, and he comes across a treasure buried in a field. Accidentally. Like he's not out, we have no indication, he's not looking for anything. He stumbles across a treasure buried in a field. That probably would seem a little out of the norm for us. In the first century, it was little more normative. People that were hearing this parable, they would have understood that a little better. There were no banks then. People, if they were afraid of their resources, their money, their life savings, their family treasure being stolen in a raid, in a robbery, they would sometimes just hide it and they'd bury it in a field or bury it on property. And then sometimes, for whatever reason, they were never able to go back and get it. And so the the law, there was even laws in that day, even in the Jewish culture, that if you bought a piece of property and you found treasure in it, it was yours. But if you came across treasure and property that didn't belong to you, it wasn't right for you to take it. So this guy comes across treasure, finds the treasure. He says, this is amazing. So what does he do? He immediately reburies it. He doesn't just take it. And then he goes and he buys the field. He wasn't, he didn't want the field. He wasn't looking to buy property. But he wanted the treasure. And the way for him to get it was to buy the field. The only way for him to buy the field was to sell everything he had. So he discovered it unexpectedly. The second parable, though, there was intentionality there. In the second parable, you have a merchant and he is looking for fine pearls. He knows there's something valuable out there and I'm going to find it. There's the perfect pearl, the perfect exquisite pearl out there and I'm going to keep searching until I find it and then he finds it. Priceless. And when he does, he sells everything to buy it. Your salvation story If you are saved in this room, if you know Jesus, more than likely, you can fit into one of these two paradigms. You discovered the kingdom, perhaps quite unexpectedly. It wasn't unexpected to God, but it was to you. You weren't looking for it. But something happened in your life, and you discovered the treasure. For some of you, perhaps, there was intentionality. You were seeking. You were searching. You knew something was out there. You didn't know what it was. And you were looking for it. And in God's grace, you found it. Entering into the kingdom begins with a discovery. Secondly, in each of these parables, you find a determination. So there's a discovery, and then there is a determination. Both of these individuals had to discern the value of what they had found. They had to discern the value of it and whether it was enough to pursue it. Jesus says the kingdom is a treasure, period. 
It is not valuable because we make it valuable. It is not valuable because of what we say. I can't remember, I think it was, it may have been A.W. Tozer, it may have been someone else, but they said that if every person on earth became blind, it would not change the glory of the sun. And if every person on earth did not believe in Christ, it would not change the glory of God. Treasure is treasure. These men had to determine whether or not they believed the value of what they had found and whether it was worth pursuing. And here's the reality. Not everybody will do that. There may be some of us in this room, there may be some that watch this later. We have encountered the kingdom. We have discovered it. Maybe like Scott shared with us last week, we've been in church for a very, very, very long time. We've been around worshipers. Maybe we've done what we called worship ourselves. Maybe we've served some. Somehow we've encountered the kingdom. Maybe it's not in church. Maybe we just had someone in our life that, that we knew was a believer. Maybe we've read some of the Bible. We've encountered the kingdom, but we have yet to determine it's valuable enough to pursue. Every person has to discern and make the determination of whether or not they believe that treasure, that pearl of the kingdom is worth it. Doesn't change the treasure, doesn't change the value of Christ and his kingdom. What it changes is us. The third thing we see in these two parables is surrender. We see a discovery, we see that they have to make a determination, and then we see a surrender. In both of these cases, the treasure is acquired through surrender. For the man who found the treasure in the field, he went, sold everything he had so he could buy the field and have the treasure. The merchant, looking for the fine pearl, when he found the one that was priceless, sold everything he had so he could acquire it. They surrendered what used to be their treasure so that they could obtain the greater treasure in both cases. They gave up what they used to hold on to, what they loved, what was valuable. They let that go that they might obtain something far greater. This doesn't mean that we buy our way into the kingdom. Understand that. This doesn't mean that the way that you enter the kingdom of heaven is go sell all your possessions or you purchase your way in. Rather, these parables are illustrating the attitude of a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You know it's worth it all. Listen, if any of us doubt that, if we're living some kind of religious existence where Jesus is peppered in among a lot of other things that we find valuable, our souls may be in danger. Because what Jesus is saying 
is that whatever you treasure, you can't hold on to that and also grab the greater treasure. you got to let go to receive that which is far more valuable. That's the attitude of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Look, there are things in our lives we love, we adore. Our family, friends, our career, savings accounts, vacations, property. But, if it meant Christ or those things, the citizens of the kingdom say, Christ. Jesus. He's the most valuable treasure. He's everything. That's what it looks like. We won't go into them in depth, but if you want to read these, that's really cool. They're back to back in eight, in Acts chapter eight and nine. You see two pictures of people coming to Jesus, and it's this wonderful illustration of this idea of unexpected coming to Christ and expected, intentional. In Acts chapter eight, you have this Ethiopian eunuch who had went to Jerusalem to worship and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home and he's reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. And while that is happening, the Spirit of Christ sends Philip to him to to find him, sit with him, explain Scripture to him. That This is a man who's intentionally looking. He's searching for something. He knows there's a pearl of great price out there. And he's trying to figure it out and determine what it is. And he discovers it through the Word of God and a servant of God that comes and explains it to him. And at the end of it, Philip proceeds to tell him about Jesus. And as they're traveling around, the eunuch says, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? In other words, I want it. I surrender. This is the treasure. This is the pearl. And then immediately in Acts chapter 9, guess who we're introduced to? Saul. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Going to the high priest requesting a letter from the synagogues so that he could find any men or women who belong to the way, to the Christian faith, that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going to get a letter that will allow him to arrest, persecute, and maybe murder Christians. And what happens as he's traveling that road to get that letter? A light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Unexpectedly, he discovers the kingdom. He's made blind. And Jesus sends a man to him, Ananias, who goes to him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. We don't know exactly when in that time Saul was converted and saved, but we know at the end of that process he said, Surrender. 
This is worth it all. And by the way, Saul, Paul, he gave up everything. He gave up notoriety. He gave up power. He gave up wealth. And he traded it all in to be put in prisons and beaten and persecuted for the name of Jesus. And later on in the New Testament, he would say, I had a lot of things and I look back on them now and I lost a lot of important things. But when I look at those things now, I consider them to be like dung, garbage, rubbish. Because I've traded them to know Jesus. So, for us, it starts with a discovery, a determination, and a surrender. And what I want to say to you this morning is, that's not just a one-time thing. That is the beginning of you entering into the kingdom of heaven. But it is also the process of your growth and your sanctification you will always need to discover more of that kingdom that Christ has called you to live in. Sometimes you're going to discover its value in unexpected ways. Sometimes, though, it will be while you intentionally seek through the Word and prayer and worship and fellowship and service. And you're always going to have to determine More of Christ is valuable. And you're always going to have to surrender some things. It's our whole life. Growing in Christ, that's it. It's discovering Him and His kingdom. It's facing it and saying, this is hard. This is hard. I don't know if I can give this up. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can walk this road. This is different. I don't know. But you determine, no, more of Christ, less of me, more of Jesus. That's what I want, so I surrender. So I can have that treasure. So let's end. Let me try to pull all this together from these last four weeks with this life truth. As a kingdom citizen, you must be committed to a lifelong journey of transformation. Let me just pause there. As a kingdom citizen, you must be committed to a lifelong journey of transformation. Listen, I don't know this is a big issue here, but it is an issue with someone you know in your life that lives in the South. The question will come up, are you saved? Yes. And they point to some moment that happened decades ago. That's their trust. That's their hope. Salvation is about constant transformation. It's about what Jesus is doing right now. It's not just about that one time He saved you. It's about His constant saving of your soul every single day of your life. So be careful. Think about your life. Think about your heart. Think about your soul. What a horrible thought to sit in a church your whole life Go through the motions to find out transformation really never happened. Finish it up. You must be humble and patient. 
continually discerning the precious value that is more and more of Christ in you. Those four lessons that I gave, that we learned, that we must be patient, we must be humble, we must be transformed, we must learn discernment, it's not a one, two, three, four step process. It's a circle. It's continual. Look, the moment you think, all right, I've learned patience, you will discover, oh, I really have to learn that again. The moment you think, I've learned humility, you will learn, oh, I really haven't. So it's constant in our lives, these lessons. The question I would ask us today that I think is before us in the text is this. Do I treasure Christ? Do I treasure more and more and more of Him to pursue Him in discovery and surrender? In your front of your worship guide, this prayer focus for today is from Philippians 3.8. It is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he gives this very well-known verse, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to help this church to value knowing Christ and abiding with Him as our greatest treasure. Not only will it enhance every earthly treasure that we have, that He gives us, but we will discover that is the right way to live and the good way to live. To constantly want more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. We need to ask Him to give us that desire and that ability to pursue and abide with Him always. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up. We're going to end today singing together. But as I, as I try to always point out to us, like I know that it's kind of the end, and so it's easy just to shift our minds toward, alright, we're, you know, we're, we're wrapping up. But I want to, invite you to ponder God's Word because His Word always requires a response. And the further we move away from hearing His Word to deciding about it, the more likely we are not to decide in favor of it. So if He has spoken to you today something about your life and about your treasure, respond to that. We have some prayer partners will be up to my left. They will pray with you about that or anything that you want them to pray for. Whether healing or an issue that, that you have that you want someone just to pray for you about. But I want to lay before you this. Because God put us in His Word here intentionally. What is your treasure? 
Do you value more and more of Jesus? If so, confess that to Him. Repent where we've not valued it. Ask for His help. You can pray where you are, you can come up to the front, or you can have someone pray with you, but don't just let it pass by. Jesus, we ask You today that You would give to us a recognition of the surpassing value of Christ in us. You are our hope. You are our hope to one day live in the kingdom of heaven and see it with every sense it with every sense that we have. But you're our hope to abide right now experiencing the kingdom. Help us to drop what is worthless to pursue you. But also help us where we're holding on to to treasures, to habits or perceptions or goods or ways of life that are hindering our walk with you. Jesus, it could be as it could be as simple as just filling our life with good hobbies or desiring great afternoon naps, things that are valuable but not as valuable as You. So speak to us individually by Your Spirit and help us to have a desire to pursue You as our treasure. You came to bring the Kingdom of Heaven near us. Let us determine its worth to be priceless and let us surrender. If there's anyone here that doesn't know You, Truly, may they be saved today. May You pierce their heart and bring repentance. For those of us who may be far from You, draw us near. In Christ's name. As we sing, as we pray, if you'd like to talk about anything regarding your relationship with Jesus, just come and let me know, or come and talk to me before you leave today. Let's engage with Him. Let's pray, let's sing. Amen.